Welcome to Bottom Line's Top Dollars, a podcast about all the money things you suspect might be ruining your life. I'm Laura Boo, recording from the island of Abegwicht on traditional and unceded Mi'kmaq territory, otherwise known as Prince Edward Island, Canada. And I'm Hadassah Damian, recording on unceded Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute land, aka Denver, Colorado. Together, we are the Ladies Who Crunch, two queer artist buds with careers in finance and hearts in anti-capitalist liberation. That's right. Find us online at ladieswhocrunch.club and support us on Patreon. Look for Bottom Line's Top Dollars. So welcome to Season 3, wherein we dive into practical ways to thrive in late-stage capitalism. All right. Hello, Hadassah. Oh, Laura. Hi. I'm so excited to talk about today's topic, which is you don't have to love work, but you don't want to hate life. So how do you get a job that doesn't make your life suck? We're going to go all the way in. Oh, my God. So excited because this is a really big thing you can do to make your life better. I mean, Mm -hmm. truly, we spend an enormous amount of time working, a lot of us. And under capitalism, unless you are independently wealthy or win the lottery or have, you know, built that squat cabin in the woods with like (laughs) a a self-sustaining permaculture garden, you're probably going to have to do some kind of work in order to cover your (laughs) needs in the world. Wants, desires, et cetera, and so on, for sure. So- So even if maybe like the end end goal is you don't need a job, which, you know, we'll we'll talk about retiring and early retirement in another episode. Today, we're talking about getting that job and the reality of jobs that don't suck. You know, they're out there. They are totally out there. And I've been thinking a lot. I've been reading Work Won't Love You Back by Sarah Jaffe, which is an awesome book. And and she troubles this idea of jobs that we love and how we ended up loving or expecting that we're gonna, you know, you know, love what you do and never work a day in your life, and how that's actually like a really new cultural phenomenon. And up until recently, people expected their jobs to kind of suck or just be whatever. I can't stand that that concept. That thing where people are like, you need to have a job that you just love so much that it's all you wanna do. And I'm like, that idea is a horror movie to me. That's the plot of like a horror movie. <laughs> right. It's a horror li- movie called neoliberal capitalism, right? It's called, it's a horror movie. No, I got that wrong. The, the title is capitalist realism, yeah. where the only option <laughs> is to go all the yeah. way in. Right. I don't want my job to be brainwashing me to think that it it isn't labor. Like I just want a job where the labor is performed in a way where I feel like it's not exploiting the shit out of me. Right, right. So today we're going to go in, we're going to, we're going to, you know, like we like to do, get in this nuanced middle ground here where we're not going to be like, capitalism is going to be fine. And <laughs> No, I don't think so. You know, and we're not going to be like, you know, you'll never work a day in your life if you love what you do. We've already troubled that, you know, but we do really want to go into what does it, what does it mean to find and set up a work uh, experience for yourself that isn't horrific. Yeah, that doesn't ruin your life. <laughs> that doesn't make life not worth living. No, <laughs> like that's actually part of 
you know, part of what we're trying to do is to find and create lives that feel worth living. And that includes as much of it as possible, when possible, the work that you do. And so, you know, we we talked earlier about this idea of seasons in life, right? And so sometimes, and, and Laura and I, I feel, met in the season of life that was like, fuck making money, let's wear the best outfits that we possibly can as often as possible. Oh, all the outfits. It was right. It was right for that season. I regret nothing at all. <laughs> you know, it was expansive, beautiful, and there was no there was no profit motive. That's fine. You know, but there's also seasons of life that are, you know, about stabilizing or tending, right? There's seasons of life that are about restoring or like laying quiet, right? There's there's actually tons of different times in our lives. And there are going to be times in life where you're like, hey, I actually do want to stabilize. I do want to create something that feels like it is, uh, there, there's a base underneath me and work is going to be part of that. So you know, what does it mean to actually want to grow into and figure out the way into that season of life? That's where we're going today. Yes. I also want to say that this idea of getting a job that doesn't suck I, I want to put the caveat in there that every job is going to suck sometimes. Because even if you have a job where you're like, you really do like it, you're going to have days where you're like, today, Becky drove me crazy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's never. Becky, why was Becky doing that today? But also. But do you get what I'm partying saying? Partying sucked at times. Yeah. You know, like. The dude who threw up down my back, that was a bad night. No, like that was a bad night. Yeah, the show went wrong many times uh, for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so again, it's not like I don't want to roll up and be like, you can think your way out of how exploitative capitalism is. No. And thinking about how you approach a job that doesn't suck is partially going to be frame of mind, right? Because, and we're going to go into this in a minute. It's some of it is about understanding what you're trying to get out of it. If you're like, this job is always going to be a pure delight. I don't know. I don't know if that experience is out there. I don't know if an un <laughs> unbroken <laughs> life without pain is available yeah. to any one of us in any any level of our experience. Yeah, because know, for man. me, a little bit like to be honest, getting a job that I mean, this is gonna this is gonna sound more unhappy than it actually is. But a part of getting my job that doesn't suck, because right now I have a job that I actually really enjoy quite a lot. Uh, but, you know, if I would have had the job I have now in my 20s, in my party era, I would have thrown myself out a window. Like I would have thought that my current job was <laughs> terrible because I didn't want to work in an, like I thought that working in an office was death or, you know, like it was, all this stuff. And so a part of it really was figuring out what were the key things that really were the things that I'm like, these things suck and I don't want them in my life. And then these other things being like, you know what? I accept this and I'm I'm going to let it not bother me anymore. So a part of it is kind of like a calibrating of saying, mm -hmm. you know what? It's a good way to say it's, it. Yeah. It's kind of a funny thing where I kind of had this moment where I decided that I was going to go into a phase of my life where I really wanted to try to, you know, go into like a working phase of my life, try and work and dig myself out a bit. And I, and season of life, homie. exactly. Yes. Like I would never have considered working 40 hours in my twenties. And now I'm like, 
40 hours is an acceptable amount of time to work in a week for me right now. Mm. You know, so this is all this is kind of what I'm what I'm saying is that there's parts of it that are objectively like, yeah, a boss that doesn't scream at you. Objectively, I'm pretty sure that most people would say that that is a uh, universal for a job that doesn't suck, but there are other things where you can decide that certain things you're like, I'm going to take this on and I'm going to choose that this will be an okay aspect of my working life. Totally. Totally. So I think, I think it makes sense actually for us to start defining what it means for a job not to suck. I'm going to imagine listener, good people, f- friends out there, you've had jobs that suck. You, uh, you have an innate sense of what makes a job suck. So let's talk about what makes a job not suck. So let's just start with like the financial realities that a job that doesn't suck will pay you more than enough. You will not be scraping by at like whatever bare minimum situation because you will have enough money to cover your needs, enough money to cover some wants, and enough money to dig out of whatever holes of the past, be it debt, be it student loans, be it making up for when you didn't make enough money and you have to fix your teeth or throw extra money in retirement or whatever it is, right? Yeah, we talked about that in the th- in the episode about knowing your worth and we talked about thriving wage. Yeah. You know, it's it's about like think back to that episode, a job that doesn't suck. Like I'm pretty I'm pretty confident to say that a job that does not pay you the thriving wage that we kind of talked about in that episode below that level, the job sucks. <laughs> you're going to you're going to start feeling financially resentful at some point with that job, right? And so again, seasons of life, sometimes it makes sense to for a while take a job that you know doesn't pay you enough because it's part of your path to a thriving job or because you're like, oh, for six months or a year, I can do something that I'm so freaking interested in that I'm not going to get resentful because I know I'm going to move on to the next thing. And I know there are people who suck, but don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck because if you're not making a thriving wage and in the US, like there's research out there, friends, that thriving wage is going to be somewhere around 90 to 95K a year. Uh-huh. I mean, inflation yeah. is, is really changing. We've talked previously about um, how people think about money and how, you know, you can go out on the street and ask 10 different people what what is a lot of money? Just that. What is a lot of money? And different people, will they will give you all different numbers. Mm. But I promise you that if you had asked those 10 people that a year ago and then asked them that today, the number would now be objectively different because things cost more. And I just wanted to say one thing also about the thriving wage is you know, I feel like I feel like I'm often talking to assuming that I'm talking to people who have my similar life experience, which is I don't come from intergenerational wealth. Therefore, like the wage is, especially for me right now in my life, really like one of the very core things that need to be on point for me because I have no, I cannot work underneath a thriving wage Mm -hmm. because it'll, I won't, I won't survive my old age. Yeah. But if you're like, when we say this, if there are people listening here who have the privilege of an inheritance and it's not your number one criteria, we want to say that 
there's lots of other criteria. Totally. Wait, wait, let's let's finish thriving wage, though, for a second, because so thriving wage pays you more than enough. You are the expert on what's enough for you in terms of the money you have to spend, the money you want to spend. Right. So like money that you take home, but you also need to for this wage to be thriving, be able to put money into retirement or the job magically might have some kind of pension for you. There are some jobs that have that. Right. So a thriving wage is still money that you're able to like bring and use after some money has been put aside for old age, right? So there's enough there. But a thriving wage also is like uh, the benefits that the job will give you. So are they giving you health insurance? Are they contributing to your retirement savings? Do you have paid vacation? Things like that. Like there, there are plenty of jobs out there that will do those things for workers because workers want them and they need them to feel that they're able to thrive Mm -hmm. um, in their workplace. And defining that thriving wage for you based on your specific life circumstances, whether you come from a situation where you have no help from anybody and you've got debt and you've got whatever versus, you know, maybe you've got a little bit from somewhere and you have no debt. Thriving wage are very different for those two kinds of people. If you're someone who's deeply in debt your thriving wage has to be enough also for you to be getting yourself out of debt. Totally. And if you are someone who is taking care of a family member in their retirement because they weren't able to pull together their own thriving wage, your thriving wage is going to be higher, right? So I know a lot of like first generation immigrant folks are like in that scenario, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, yep, I'm I'm taking care of my family. <laughs> you know, okay, great. Your thriving wage is going to be higher. You are the expert on what you need for that thriving wage. But a job that doesn't suck pays Absolutely. you that. Absolutely. But onwards. Okay. What what else? So I think there's like, I mean there's just like how it makes you feel. Yeah. I love that this section is titled feelings and work conditions. <laughs> I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the first one is this job doesn't crush your spirit. <laughs> like, but but a job that requires like oh intense God. emotional labor may be a job that sucks. Like not emotional labor because if you're a social worker, then your job right. it's that is your your emotional labor. What I mean is if it is emotional labor for you to just endure your monstrous boss or your terrible coworkers, or the thing that you do, the thing that you make or do or whatever crushes your spirit. Like if you, if you're feeling shame about the thing that you are doing, then this is such extreme emotional draining that it's, you have to ask yourself, how much is this costing me to work this job? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and that cost it it can really um, get you into a place where you become physically disabled. Like I have legit had jobs where I one day in the middle of the workday found myself crying in a bathroom stall and had a moment of realization. And I went out of the bathroom stall and went to the coat room and grabbed my coat and went back to the room where my boss was and said, you're going to have to find someone to replace me. And I took my computer and I walked out the door and I got on the Metro and I went to the hospital. And that was that kind of job. If you're feeling like 
the daily grind is moving you towards a state where you are going to have a breakdown of potentially a long time without income, then then what are they paying you to make it worth that? Nothing is worth that, right? Nothing is worth that, right. So a job that doesn't suck will not crush your spirit or at the, or like will have ways for you to uncrush any moments of crushing, right? So like, again, will some jobs, will all jobs suck at some point? Sure. But like, if you have a like, overworking period because it's a busy period at work, will there be extra downtime afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. For everybody. Mm -hmm. So we're like, hey, we know that that was probably really exhausting and potentially crushed your spirit, right? Acknowledging that something could be draining is itself a signal of a job that doesn't suck and then time for you to bounce back, right? Or will there ever be a workplace without microaggressions? Probably not as long as we have systemic racism. Um, and homophobia and transphobia. But will there be workplaces where then somebody who doesn't have to be you steps up to be like, hey, that wasn't right. And here's how we're going to, you know, I had a talk with this person and here's how we're going to change some policies, right? Like a job that doesn't suck will not crush your spirit and or will signal that it intends to undo any crushing that may have happened, right? I don't want to be like, there's like a la la land of jobs where nothing ever goes wrong. No, but there are going to be jobs where people are like, hey, that that wasn't how things should be long term. Here's how we're going to short term and long term change it. Yeah, because a lot of that is also like, depending on what kind of thing you're talking about, most of the time when you work, you have coworkers. There are other mm-hmm. people. And, <laughs> you know, there's the part that's the situational where you're like, I hate Bob. Bob sucks versus being like, the culture of this work is to encourage people to be like Bob. Like there's a right, difference right, there, exactly. right? So at any job, you can end up with a Bob, you know? And the question is, is there, are there, you know, ways? Is Bob centered? Yeah, is Bob centered? Is, is there, are there mechanisms for you to get support to deal with Bob? You know, there's ways that there, there are, workplaces that care Mm -hmm. that you feel okay at work versus some workplaces that do not care at all (laughs) whether you are happy at work. Right, exactly. And that's that's why this section was titled Feelings (laughs) and Work Conditions (laughs) because the two interplay off of each other. And Laura is exactly right. Some workplaces are actually going to try and some workplaces aren't. Um, That doesn't so, so you're looking for a workplace that tries, but also has success in making it not crush your spirit. Correct. Another thing you're going to look for is work that has boundaries, oh, right? Boundaries. So uh, yeah, like <laughs> where do you have to have work on your phone all the time? And look for some types of work, like my partner's a public defender. She does actually kind of have to be available to answer calls m- many hours of the day, but was, you know, in terms of boundaries, was able to get a second phone so that when it's really time for phone off, like calls off, the phone can go away, right? And so I think boundaries at work, again, it's very role and workplace or type of work dependent. If you're an ER doctor and you're on call, then yeah, you are not going to have boundaries during your on-call time. But when do you know that you can have non-work time? When do you know that you 
can genuinely carve out, I'm not at work. I'm not giving you all attention time. Because a very quick way to experience suckness is to constantly have to be responding to emails and Slack messages and phone calls all hours of the day. Because now you're not working 40 hours a week. You're working 168 hours a week, which is all the hours in a week. No. Yeah. And this is also like, I know people who being on, like, again, it's about what are your boundaries? Like when we say a a workplace with boundaries, it's with boundaries that match up with what your needs are, right? Mm -hmm. Because for some people, they don't mind being on call versus they're like, you know what, being on call means that I often can work because there are some jobs where you actually get paid to be on call and then you work less, but you make more. It's just that you have to be prepared to go in. And for some people that works for them. For some people that is a nightmare. And I feel like the the thing about the thing about that is being able to say to yourself the the conditions of how I work, when I work, and what I do match up with what I need to feel like I'm living a good healthy life. That's exactly it. And yes. Next, I want, I feel like another thing is, at least for myself, and I, this was a big realization, was being able to be myself at work, which when I was an artist, it was kind of my job. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your job was be yourself. Yeah. But when I became an accountant, this suddenly I realized was actually a challenge because accounting as a general industry Often it's kind of a conservative a little laced job up. world. It's a little yeah. laced up, you know, like, and to be, you know, <laughs> to be honest, it was like when I started working, I realized that, you know, most corporate jobs now, they, they really are like, we sponsor pride or we have these rainbow stickers or like whatever, you know what I mean? Totally. They, they, they pay yeah. an HR department to you know, make make diversity and inclusion a priority. But we all know that even no matter whether they have a diversity and inclusion policy at work doesn't necessarily mean whether that workplace actually feels safe and comfortable for you. Totally. And being yourself isn't just about, I mean, for me, it was about being able to be in a workplace where I could, you know, talk about my partner in the same amount, the same way that other people talked about their straight partners and it wasn't strange and I wasn't thought of as brave for doing so, you know, like this, this was my thing, but, you know, I feel like there's all kinds of ways in which we're told that we have to hide certain identities. Like, you're kind of like a weirdo punk or your interests are strange. You come from a working class background, but you're trying to, you know, have a corporate, you're trying to like have sort of have a that class straddler life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, maybe yeah. you're neurodivergent, you know, like you want to be able to, you don't want to have a dress code because you want to dress how you like, which also I think kind of crosses over. There's a lot of workplaces where people feel like they have to whitewash their appearance, you know, that you can't wear natural hairstyles. Or like class wash your appearance. Yeah. And, and not to like overwrite, like having to whitewash your appearance or not being able to have the like hairstyles or like 
presentations of your culture and like racial and ethnic group is bullshit. But it also is bullshit to have like, like separately and in parallel, it's bullshit to have these like very classed reads on outfits at work. Find a job where you feel like you can find the right fit for you. Because some people don't care. Some people are like happy to throw on a blazer because they're like, yeah, blazer signals power. I'm out here to get some power. So I'm fine. Yeah. And some people are like, I never, ever want to have to do that. But it's about the finding the thing that you're like, this is who I want to be at work. I'm good with this person. Some people like, I kind of, when I found a job, when I got, got to my current job, I suddenly became super excited about dressing up office for work because I was like, here, I can truly be that weird cat lady office chic that I tr- really wanted. And that made me happy. So other thing, the, the, the other thing, which is kind of, you know, uh, a little bit of a harder thing is working with people that you like and get along with having a, a, a culture at work that you, you like. And this also has to do like working with people that you get along with and that your day to day is good also is kind of like adjacent or similar in my mind with your general working conditions as far as the work is on a schedule that you like, at a location that you like. If you don't want to commute, then it's not a commute. If you don't want to be working nights, you don't work nights. It's about being able to define that whole package for yourself about what is it that you need to feel like the job doesn't suck. Totally. And it's if you've never had a job that doesn't suck, it can be so hard to imagine this, which is why we're spelling it the fuck out. Like, because these things are all possible to conceive of and to find in different types of jobs. But not every type of job is going to have the same type of schedule or location freedom or specific location, right? So, so jobs that don't suck also include what you're doing right? And so we're, we're going to get into like thinking about your skill sets in a little bit, but a job that doesn't suck doesn't bore you. It doesn't make you feel bad. It doesn't make you feel like alienated or like, God, I could be doing something better with my like precious life and amazing skills, right? <clears throat> a job that doesn't suck makes you feel like you're, you're using skills that you have at a capacity that feels interesting and challenging, and that you're potentially learning things or contributing valuable things to topics or work areas or parts of life or the world that matter to you and are interesting to you or make sense to you. Like you see where the thing that you're doing fits in. And it's not just like a cog that gets thrown away at the end of the day that anybody could have made, right? Like, yeah. Like you are doing something that, and that, that makes sense like to you're you good that has at some it. value. Yeah, I feel like my I feel like the work that I do, I hate being set up to fail. Oh Lord, yeah, mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate that. I I I want something where I'm like, this could be good for me. For me, big things are that's a huge one, and my other kind of very big one that is the for me probably the biggest factor of whether I think a job sucks is I don't want to work in a place where the people who have power over me are fucking monsters. You know what I mean? Yeah, like uh-huh. I'm I'm I have a true difficult time with bullies and megalomaniacs with authority. Like it's not saying that I'm bad with bosses in general. 
You're just bad with like sociopaths. That's fair. <laughs> I'm bad. I am bad with sociopaths. There you go. Like it's 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 a matter of being like I cannot deal with unreasonable mean people who have power over me. It it makes it 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 puts me back into like elementary school and high school where I'm like being bullied terribly. Totally. And like very few of us respond well to the evil boss trope, you know, or the evil bosses boss trope. So evil bosses out there, you're you're not going to be able to keep people <laughs> working at your organization or not good people, you know, um, who are interested in improving their circumstances. So it's interesting. Like we, we, we sat down and we were like, well, let's give people a list of jobs that don't suck. We were like, let's just tell them what are the jobs that don't suck. But very quickly we were like, actually there's no universal on this one. So as much as I would like to be like, here are the top three non-sucking jobs they're they're actually so so again you can probably I quickly identify jobs that do suck based on some of the criteria we've laid out but in terms of jobs that don't suck it's going to be a job that like fits the criteria of needs that you have in terms of you know thriving wage how you feel what you're doing what your working conditions are based on what you need and want so you know i think my job doesn't suck like yeah. sometimes I think Mine I work it a little either. bit too much, but that's <laughs> my fault, not the job's fault. And I'm working on that actively. But you you might not like a job where you're running around like facilitating groups of people and leading them through processes and coaching people and like designing programs. But to me, I'm just like, ooh, I get to be creative. I get to really understand psychology. I get to see a and end a product. I get to like move people into action. All of these things are super exciting to me. I get to set my own work hours mostly. I get to have sometimes downtime during the week, which is good because I often will do some weekend work, but that's okay. I, it's a balance in terms of time. You know, I get paid yeah, well. Yeah, I hate weekend work. I hate it. For me, I'm like, give me like a Tuesday morning off and I'm so happy to work like Sunday afternoon. But again, everybody, you're going to have your own you're going to have your own criteria. So yeah, it's it's like it's like Laura said at the beginning, Laura of her 20s might not have loved. Spreadsheets all day. <laughs> yeah. But now, right? So like, and again, you out there might be like, wow, Vanessa Damien, your job sounds like I don't, I don't ever want to do that. That's okay. There's no treasure trove of all of only non-suck jobs. Yeah. We want you to start thinking about how you're going to get into figuring out you could even say roles that don't suck because there's different roles you can do at lots of different types of jobs. So, so let's kind of transition. Do you feel ready? Yeah, I feel ready. And it's so really what we're going to do now is talk about how to get that job. And, you know, we've, we've kind of did this, this sort of talking about what are the factors that could for you be elements in whether a job does or does not suck. And I feel like the big caveat here is that we're acknowledging that all work under capitalism is coercive and that there is no such Mm -hmm. thing as a universally cool or awesome job. But what we're in the next section, what we're inviting you to do is to figure out where to find a niche for yourself in the horror show that is capitalism 
where you are doing good in yes. life. Your work, your work is not, you know, just fucking everything up. So here's how you do it. Here's what we're going to talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> here's how we're going to help you move there. Okay. So I think it's like, I feel that I just want to start with like, it is going to take some work and some maneuvering to figure all of this out. So if you're like, great, I'll just take notes on this podcast and I'll be done. No. I mean, I think for me, transitioning from question mark, question mark, I should do something useful with myself, question mark, question mark, to like landing in a career path that was starting to get me there. I mean, it was honestly, it was like the project of my 30s, but really it probably took me like six years to go from, you know, I'm going to like do some interesting stuff in in graduate school because that I know it's going to open a door. I don't know what door it is yet to getting my first six-figure job. Like that was a six-year track. And in particular, so, so you know, and that took a ton of maneuvering. So here's some of the things, you know, to to do while you're on that journey. So like number one, thinking back to these criteria that we had, you want to understand what you want, e.g. like what is the non-suck experience for you? It, it's got to be a bespoke. It's like this, it needs to be, yeah, this yeah, is custom like this work is custom. to you. This, yo, Yeah. And for me, I made a big transition in 2018 going from nonprofit um, Landia to for-profit Landia. And I did deep, deep work like in terms of coming up with life design principles. I was like, okay, like I got to figure out a thing that is brand new and I don't exactly understand what this role might be, but I know the type of life that I want to have. I know the type of ways I want to feel, right? So you can get some life principles going. You you know, you could be like, I want to work a really clear schedule or I want a flexible schedule. I want to feel happy at work. I want to feel smart and respected at work. I want to be seen as an expert. I want to actually not have to be an expert and like not have a ton of responsibility. Like you can design and define what these like life define life principles are for you. You know, like for me, I really feeling joyful and getting to have happy, like laughing moments at work is actually really important to me. I I'm like, but I want to be happy. I don't want to have to be serious all the time. I hate that. <laughs> so how do I come up with what types of roles then allow me to do that? You know, and and being able to come up with these types of design criteria can help you whittle away things and help you start to creatively think about how you're going to answer the question of um what is it you're going to do, you know? Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about imagination in this mm. And I feel like this is like a recurring theme that comes up. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of different practical ways to go about this kind of part, which is really an exercise, letting your imagination kind of, you know, run wild and also a good self-assessment. So like whether you are going to do that with like, oh, what do they call it when people make those Bristol boards of like cutouts of, what is it called? Like a- um, oh, like a vision board. Like a vision board. Like maybe you're a vision It's like a- I don't even know the word of it because Pinterest, I can't even, right? I can't even deal Pinterest. with that. Like th- that's not my jam. See, the way my brain works is in lists and columns and categories. And for other people, it's like a collage. 
So you, I'm like literally looking at my vision board right now. It's oh my, my God. I, of course you're a vision board person. See, yes. when I did this, you know, cause I, I did this when I basically had like a breakdown at work and, and, and actually got, you know, put onto a kind of sort of sick leave because of burnout and sort of anyway, whatever, long story. I basically sat down at my mother's table and I started making lists and my lists, I asked myself several different questions. Like, you know, I asked myself, what am I good at? And I asked myself, what do I like doing? Which Mm -hmm. by the way, are, that's not the same list, right? Yeah. There might be overlap, but no, it's, it's very important to differentiate the two. Exactly. Cause you have skills. There's like, you know, what, what are, what do you, what are you good at? And things that also can be like very general. It doesn't mean, you know, what do you already have training in? Mm -hmm. It's just what kind of things you're good at. Like I had no training in anything to do with money, but on my list, I was like, you know, I actually am kind of naturally like from my perspective at that time, I thought I was pretty good at money because I had been able to live on a pretty much nothing and I was able to run sh- like shows and parties for years without going into debt, which most of the other party organizers would constantly be running losses. And so I thought I was a pretty good business person, you know, so I put money on that list. So, you know, what are you good at? What do you like? Also a list of what are the hard no's for you? What are the mm-hmm. things that you absolutely hate? And that can be all kinds of stuff. Like for me, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do shift work anymore. I don't want to work at night anymore. I I was feeling like I was awake at the opposite hours of the most important people in my life. So mm. uh, it became a thing that was, you know, and you can do this exercise and let yourself kind of it's a, it's it's a process of asking yourself questions and then imagining the possible like i looked at all those mm-hmm. lists and then tried to find the overlaps and find it was like the venn diagram of figuring out oh yeah what i needed to do with my life yeah there there's an addition to that list which is what would other people say i'm good at which is interesting. And you can also interview past coworkers or like people who you've been in collectives or done projects with to get surface this information. And it's super interesting because to me, this syncs up with another question, which is what do I find easy? And I know for me, I had this story that, well, if I was doing work, it had to feel hard and challenging and like confusing and kind of like pretty like gnarly sometimes. But when I reframe that to like, what do other people think I'm good at? And what are the things I find easy? There was, there was a really interesting Venn diagram there in things people value that I was doing often around like teaching people things or explaining concepts or leading, talking to groups of people or like thinking about systems and processes um, and like how things kind of work. And I was like, oh yeah, that comes naturally to me. That couldn't possibly be work. There couldn't possibly be like paid roles to do that work. P.S. There is, right? And so- absolutely is. There's- Yeah. Things that you are naturally good at and find easy can also be like 
big green flags in terms of places you should be looking. It doesn't have to be horrifically hard. Absolutely. And I feel like just as a reminder, because, you know, people like in trying to figure out what I was going to do for me at that stage, I was just like, you know, what am I good at? What am I bad at? All these things. And then also the other thing I asked myself was in the overlap here, what kind of jobs could fit in this overlap? And then of those jobs, which are paid enough to make me want to do them. And that's how I kind of got there. But I feel like for me, that was that was the activity I did at the time. But that didn't straight away get me a job that didn't suck. To be honest, I had, you know, I went back to school and then, you know, I had some jobs after that that did suck as an accountant. And I realized that there was another point where it's like, you know, not all accounting jobs universally don't suck. I had to find right. <laughs> a job in my field that didn't suck. And that involved figuring out, like we talked about, things like working conditions and other things. So in this exercise, it isn't just about what profession do I want, but thinking about those kinds of other things. Mm. And I think, well, and one other thing to add, two things. Number one, like I have a little exercise that I that I did when I was making my 2018 work transition that I put on Ride Free Fearless Money blog. So I'll put that in the show notes, but it is like a series of all these questions you can ask yourself. But I'm also thinking for me, I didn't, I wasn't looking to like necessarily find a new profession. I was just, I was asking this question of like, what, what is my like weird ass assortment of skills kind of all roll up into? I'm like, I know there must be a job that I can do that I'll be great at, but I wasn't totally sure what that was. So for me, putting these criteria together of what, what do I like? What am I good at? Was really useful. And then it also, I needed to do some like framing up of my skills. Like I needed to be like, okay, like these skills that I have, like just what, what are they and how do they go together? And so it wasn't just for me, it wasn't just making a list of the skills. I had to start with that, but it also was like, what's the story or what's my like work story going to be? Right. And so that was where I needed to like be a bit creative because again, I was trying to go into what felt to me, the unknown. Like I didn't know what a strategist or design strategist or design facilitator was at that time. Like I knew that there was, I knew the things that I was interested in and good at and problems I wanted to solve. And then I was able to say, okay, well, like what lets you be like a problem solver? What lets you, you know, I was like, how am I going to talk about being competent as a problem solver and creatively collaborating, you know, in all these moments across my life, whether that was professional, you know, in some, in many of the various jobs that I'd had, or like in art and creative work. And so this is what I want you to also remember is that your skill set is not just based on jobs that people have paid you for. Your skill set is going to come from all the things that you've done across your life, right? So that could be, you know, making art, that could be volunteering, that could be community organizing, that like your skills, could the things you know how to do. Could be of children. Uh, yes. It could be all kinds of things. It's coming from all over the place. So when you're thinking about what am I good at? What are, what's the story of my skills? Feel free to think across everything that you've done. You don't have to bifurcate yourself into, well, was I paid for it or was I not paid for it? Don't worry about that part, right? Because you're trying to you're trying to tell the story of like what you're good at. And sometimes actually, I mean, look, if 
file under you don't have to love everything about your job and you don't have to monetize everything you do. So take this with a grain of salt. But sometimes when you look over the things that you've done voluntarily over your life, you'll see a pattern of skills or things that you like that you want to pull into your paid working world. Exactly. And I also want to say, because this section is is interesting to me because you might have the profession that you want already, but not a job that doesn't suck, right? Not the role so, in it Exactly. That you want. Or like mm-hmm. you might be like, I, I want, I am, and I want to be the thing that I was trained to do, but how do I, I don't want to become something else or do something else. I want to do what I'm doing now, but I just don't want it to suck. So, you know, I, I do want to, I want to take a little bit of a moment to say, you know, this kind of visioning of figuring out what it is that you want from your work life. It might be, you know, sort of a a self-assessment and a visioning that includes thinking about changing your general profession or the general industry that you work in, but it might not. It might just be Mm -hmm. that you want to you you like your your general profession your general industry but you want a better job in that industry or profession you want you know you don't think that you're progressing the way that you want to so we're trying to say you know the, the we're going to get to in the next section it will apply to both folks but one last thing that applies to folks where maybe when you do this visioning and it involves an assessment of your skills because maybe you're considering trying something new. I just want to encourage people to, when you do this, be open to playing the long game. And what I mean by this is if when you do this exercise and you look at what you've got, you might realize that the job that you actually want requires getting some kind of training or some other move or big life change that might actually require that you take a step back and invest some time and money into getting that training or education or making that geographical move or whatever. And taking that time to invest in long-term goodness is worth it, no matter what your age. Because I do hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm in my 30s or I'm in my 40s, it's too late for me to go back to school. It's too late for me to make that kind of change. Not true. And not yeah, true. I, I yeah. really want to encourage people to not think about your age as an objective thing where there's like a, just a certain point in every person's life where after that you cannot, you cannot go back to school. I th- I would prefer if people, when you're assessing it, to decide to to evaluate it on a like a return on investment kind of model, where you say, okay, mm-hmm. if I stop, take a step back, and go back to school for three years, and it costs me X amount of dollars to do so. After that retraining, how much money will I be making? for how many years I have left before I want to stop working entirely. Totally. And totally. take a look at that take a look at that financial payoff and compare it to what 
what kind of jobs you can get without going back to school. And that's a much, it's a, it's a much more freeing way to, to look at it than just saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 35. So my, my life is fucking over. I can't do anything. I got just got to play the cards I have. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely not. Look, you can be like in your sixties and decide to go back to school for whatever, two, three years to do whatever you want to be a therapist, you know, great. Okay. Then you're going to be 65. As long as you feel that you want to be working, right? Like I know plenty of therapists who are like, I plan to work until as long as I can speak, (laughs) you know, um, because like of the, of the passion and just like the way that field is like, it's, you're, you're not too old, right? Like definitely not. the, the, the thing I like to give people to think about is like, straight up run the numbers. You're going to go to school for three years. You're going to come out with X amount of dollars in loans. Okay, great. Like when you come out, will you be able to make more money such that you can easily pay off those loans and get a thriving wage, right? Often people go back to school, especially if you're doing professional training, right? If you're thinking like, you know, nurse, lawyer, accountant, like these are like professional fields that you can often estimate your wage in a bit more easily. I mean, I know for myself, like I went to school simply because I was like, well, first off, somebody died and I got a little bit of money so I could. Second, you know, second off, because I was like, I I know that getting a master's degree in the sort of more nebulous fields that I work in is going to enable me to take another step. I don't exactly know what step yet, but I then rolled the cards in terms of working part-time and going to school part-time. So I was able to keep my school costs very minimal right? And then able to take additional steps after that, right? And so it is, but I didn't go to school to get like a, you know, like I, I, I did a certificate in technology and pedagogy as part of my education. Cause I was like, well, this is going, this is tech ish. <laughs> I can use this for something to deepen what I already know and care about around working in technology. And that kind of kicked me off into working in human centered design, which kicked me into strategy work, um, which has come back around both in ride free, but also in like my professional firm that I now co-run. <laughs> so, so Sometimes you're making like a very measured, like I know I want, like Laura did, right? Like I'm going to become an accountant and it's going to take me these steps and these many years and I can easily calculate the ROI. Sometimes because I wanted that. Yeah. I was like, I want clarity yeah. and I want structure because I was fed up with not having any of that. Yeah. And then sometimes you're going to be like, well, I just know that there's a, like, I just know the next step that I can take. And I feel confident that it's going to be financially feasible and will move me somewhere where I'll understand the step after that. That was my path, right? Like I, I didn't even know what the fuck a strategist was until like three years ago. Okay. That's fine. But now let's actually go on. say, okay, you've gone to either, either you go back to school or you don't, or you're like, I actually already have the profession I want. Now Mm -hmm. we're back to and now let's find the job. How do yes, you actually totally. find that job? So now yeah, you've done yeah, that. Skip over school. Yeah, you've done the visioning. You've defined what is the job that doesn't suck for you. If you needed you to go back to framed up your skills. Yeah, if yep. it required going back to school, you decided if you wanted to do that, you've executed it. If it you didn't have to go back to school, you're back to like, okay, now let's actually find the job. Or even if you did have to go back to school, you're like 
you still have to work a job for now for the most part. So like you are at the point where you're like, I am getting a job now, which school or not long game or not. What are your skills you have today? What are the things you want to do today? All the stuff we've talked about so far, right? Like now you are getting out there and you are going to be getting your next job, right? Whether it's dream job or step on the way there. The first thing, I think one of the most important things that I just want to say is I just want to name that imposter syndrome is extremely real for folks who've experienced any kind of marginalization. So women, queer folks, folks of color, like first generation folks, like, you know, folks with like, you know, all kinds of different experiences feel that we're like, oh, well, I shouldn't apply for this job because I don't have all the skills. But let me tell you, the data out there shows, and the data has just been run by binary gender, but that women tend to apply for jobs that they have 100% of the skills listed for, and that men tend to apply for jobs that they only have 60% of the skills listed for. So if you are looking at a job and you think you have any of the qualifications or that you're close like apply for it, right? Because this is also how you're going to start creatively expanding what you're going to think is possible for yourself. Mm -hmm. Instead of self-limiting, I want you to be self-expanding. And so understanding that imposter syndrome is part of a self-limiting kind of gatekeeping exclusionary culture, right? It's time to start thinking about getting out there in an expansive way. And let somebody else tell you no. Don't tell yourself no yes. if you're just trying oh to God. like I love get that. in there, <laughs> right? Oh and so God. I love that. Don't let like you you don't need to tell yourself no because you assume that other people will say no. Don't that's right. don't just, make that assumption. Nope. I feel like I have that fear an awful lot, and I've I've done that where I have rejected because I assumed I would be rejected. And so I wanted to reject first. And I think that going out, I think job hunting can be a very soul sucking, very emotionally difficult process where people, I've felt it for myself and I've seen it from others, making your resume, putting yourself out there in that way can can be a process where you by inches feel less than and less than and less than because you're like god I send out these resumes and nothing comes back and I think that needing to take a a a, a hot minute every time that that kind of feeling comes at you and getting back to that center of being like you know these this feeling either imposter syndrome or this kind of telling yourself that you can't do it or that all of these rejections are huge uh, evaluations of your worth, that kind of mindset is going to make this process hell and it's going to make it less productive. So you kind of have to, you know, put yourself into the right headspace and steal yourself because the job hunting requires and to find that good job you need to be able to put yourself out there as much as possible that's right and it but you are you're only going to get and you only <laughs> probably want one job but you have to put yourself out there all over the place so just accept that there's going to be rejections for most of the mm-hmm. applications that you send whether it's you rejecting them or them rejecting you you only need yes. one Right. I mean, I have 
in the past when I've done job applications and I'm, I'm in a field that is um, now it's easier to find work in, but I have had, I calculated this last time I had to look for a job in March, 2020, which was an awkward time to job hub job hunt. I had a 90% application rejection rate, which means 10% of the people that I reached out to reached back out to me to start talking with me about hiring me. And I, and again, so you know, somebody, me, I'm, I'm confident. I'm like pretty good at framing up my skills at this point. Like I'm in like a easier to hire field, 90% rejection rate. You can't take it personally. It's just what's going to happen. You know, your job is just to like get out there, put yourself out there and depersonalize it and keep it moving. So then how do you do the actual practical putting yourself out there? All right. So number one, you are going to tell the story of your skills. You're going to need to document your your work interest, capabilities, skills, story. And that often looks like having a resume and having something on LinkedIn these days and or some type of portfolio depending on the, or like evidence of your work based on the type of field that you're trying to get into, right? And so that could be reaching back out to people you've worked with in the past to be like, hey, will you, would you be a reference for me? I'm job hunting and tell me, you know, like, let me rephrase this. This could include like, you know, documenting is, is like, you have to have like a little leave behind, right? A resume to send out a lot of job hunting and like job kind of like fishing around happens on LinkedIn these days. So you want to have some documentation, but you also want to be able to like reach out to people who are in your world. It could be people you worked with in the past or just people who you know, who like have jobs and just to be able to say, Hey, like I'm job hunting. Ideally want to have a URL so that again, that's your LinkedIn. That's a digital portfolio. That's something that you can just kind of link to them and then have your little sentence or two. That's what would be on your resume or in your LinkedIn that describes what you do and what you're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are going to need to tell the story of your, of your skills and look with those people you're reaching out to, you can also ask for feedback. Hey, would you know, does any, should I describe this in a different way? Or like people do love to give a, like give and are often willing to give a few minutes of their time to help somebody else who's in this job process. But you got to be willing to just be telling the story of what it is, who you are and what you're trying to do. Yeah. See, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at like marketing myself. I'm absolute shit at this. And so my tips for doing this is get help in making that resume. And for me, I, you know, when I was making it, I shopped it around to people who I thought were pretty, who had those skills, right? I asked them to proofread it and I asked them to fluff it up. This is, and also keep in mind when you're making your resume, you are making a template of a resume. And depending on what you're applying for, you might want to play up some things or play down other things. You know, you build something that you can customize. My next tip is that you really want it to be aligned with what you have on LinkedIn because you can send resumes to job openings and they will most likely look you up on LinkedIn. That's why this LinkedIn thing In addition thing to getting your, yeah, it's honestly, people really care about LinkedIn, which was a bit of a shocker for me. And this, I guess, supposes within like 
a certain context. You know, there are certain jobs that you might go out there and want to get where LinkedIn is not the way. Like, you know, I don't think doctors are finding their jobs on LinkedIn, but. Right. Or if you're like trying to be like a journeyman electrician or something, like you're going to have a different path. You're going to go through your union, da, da, da. But a lot of professional jobs. Exactly. So for me, it's about saying, get those you know, when you're going out there, you just want to make sure that the tools in your toolbox are already ready because making a resume and cleaning up your LinkedIn or setting up a LinkedIn and making it all aligned and good and having a portfolio, that takes time. And you want those things ready to go when you start looking and applying. Because if you see a a job that you want to apply to and you don't have that stuff ready, it's going to be rough. And I'm going to say like, also don't get caught up in perfectionism uh, here. Cause sometimes people will be like, Oh, my LinkedIn's not good enough. My resume is not good enough. Like just get it good. Get it like presentable enough. And, and, and you, you will keep tweaking it as you go. I promise you, like, even if you think you've made it perfect and you've taken way too many months to do it, you're going to keep tweaking it. So just get it good enough and keep it moving because you need to tell the story of your skills and start getting out there. But you're also going to need to be like hunting and pecking. You have to get out of your familiar zone, especially if you are trying to find a job in a new field or you're trying to like get into a new role. Like you're going to have to be actually spending much more of your time, like trying to find the new people that you don't know yet, whether you're on meetup groups or doing online networking or in-person networking, when and if it's safe to go do that, you know, it's, it's going to be about trying to, if you want to do something you've never done, you have to go find the new places where that thing is happening. Yes. And I, and I also feel like the next part is you need to be going on interviews and what I, as as many as you can. And the thing is, It's better to be going out there and interviewing even for jobs that, you know, you applied for and you're kind of like, this might be good. It might not be my dream job. You actually need real world practice of being in interviews. And if you you refuse to apply to anything until your resume is perfection and your LinkedIn is perfection, then even if you have the most perfect a resume, if you submit it and get an interview and then you are crap at interviewing, you're not yeah. going to get the job. So you need to, like, like Hadassah said, you know, get that resume in line, have a few people take a look at it, get it good enough, start sending it out, start sending it out, start sending it out, you know, and then like you can improve it as you go, but get out there and start interviewing because interviewing is a skill and you need practice in order to get good at it. I have gone to interviews where I've said, because I was nervous, the most incredibly stupid shit to people. And when it came out of my mouth, it was like, I knew it was over. And I had to learn to stop being so nervous. And the only way I got there was by doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. One of my pro tips on this is to like, is to apply everywhere, like apply to jobs that you don't think are cool. And this is different than jobs that you think are like ethically dubious. That's no, but like to, because here's the thing, if you're only applying to like the, the like most interesting, most competitive jobs to Laura's point, when you get an interview with them, you're going to, you won't have the practice that will help you feel successful and set you up to succeed. But if you're also applying everywhere 
you are going to set yourself up for an opportunity where you could find a role, right? Doing a thing you want to do at a place that actually could be really cool. Like I, I recently did a, did a workshop with a um, appliance manufacturer. I won't name because of an NDA, but they had this like really cool way of working. And the team that I worked with was like really interesting and thoughtful with each other. Right. So like, you know, do I think that there are people beating down their door to work with them? Uh, Maybe, but potentially not. But if you put yourself in a situation where you're going to like actually look in places where not everybody's applying for jobs, you'll get more interviews, you'll get the interview practice. And you also might find like an interesting and cool team that you wouldn't have known about otherwise. Right. So like, I want you to apply everywhere. Because you don't know, because sometimes a company like if, on your list of what you need for your job to not suck, if on that list is, I do not want to work for a company that is in these industries, or I don't want to work for a company that does these things, then sure, that means that you don't want to be doing that. But honestly, there are companies out there that do all kinds of strange and weird shit. And you and if yeah. what's more important to you is that you work at a place that has the uh, the 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 right workplace culture and boundaries and the type of people that make you happy and that the pay is good then maybe you will find that at a box factory where you are the social media person at the box factory like yeah, you, get creative you have yeah. no idea like honestly there are gems in the strangest places and i feel like i know this because I was an auditor for a long time and auditors get this amazing ability to go to their clients' offices in order to do audits. And so I would be constantly going into all these different companies and you get to be like a fly on the wall of their culture. And, you know, you go into a a milk processing company and they're awesome folks and then you go into the super cool, trendy, whatever, and everyone looks dead in the eyes. You know what I mean? Like you're, you'd be right? really surprised. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like you, it's not just about the job you think is cool. Remember, like cool jobs can actually be the soul suckers. <laughs> like do or not. It depends on the job. Honestly, but like, it's like the when I went to art school, everyone, like so many of the people that were my classmates were terrifying and cruel. And mm. then I went to business school where I thought it was going to be full of all my high school bullies and everyone was so nice to me. You would be shocked at what your preconceived notions yep. will That's keep right. you from having in your life. So go out there and give it a... Tr- Honestly, going to the interview is a promise of absolutely nothing. Now, the other thing that I would say is that in the interview... Remember that it is a two-way interview. Ooh, and whoop. this and this is the thing where you're like, okay, you, you're just talking about getting any old job. And I'm like, no, we're saying you put yourself into that place where you've got the resume, you've got a goal, and you start applying to things that you think might be beyond your grasp, just apply to them anyway. And then when you get in that interview, remember that you are evaluating them as much as they are evaluating you that's and right remember those things that were important to you when you did the visioning about what would make a job not suck for you this is where 
you are trying to, and I know that it's a bit like in the interview, it's like looking at the outside of the box. You know, you're looking, (laughs) you know, you're trying to assess whether you're going to like the thing before you have the thing. But it's just so important to remember that you can ask them questions. So find out the qualitative things that you identified as being important. Ask them about hours, about work-life balance. Is there a high turnover? Ask them about their management style. And you can also ask why the last team member who left, left. So it's not just what's the turnover, but, but yeah, for the last two people, like what, where did, what did they do next? And And there's also sneaky ways that you can, that you can use the interview as a test of whether or not the job is for you. Because often a lot of jobs now involve more than one interview. I always try to kind of evaluate the interviewers themselves. Like if your interviewers look miserable. Or unprepared. (laughs) Or unprepared or they seem exhausted, they seem worn out. This is a bad sign. And another thing you can do, and I did this actually in my most recent job, which I love my job right now. I intentionally went to the interview in the clothes that I want to wear at work. I didn't dress up in the way that I thought would be like the magazine says, wear this red blazer or whatever, you know, they say like wear the power suit or blah, blah, blah. I was like, I am going to dress the way that I want to dress at work. And if they don't like it and don't give me the job, then I will have saved myself some pain. Mm. I showed up to the interview. I, my tattoos were showing, my piercings were in. I was wearing a kind of strange eclectic outfit, professional, clean, stylish, but not office wear. And Mm -hmm. during the interview, on my resume and during the interview, I did certain things to make it clear that I was queer. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I did certain things to indicate that I, you know, I mentioned having been an artist. I mentioned coming from a working class background. I mentioned, actually, in the interview, my most recent job, I called myself an anti-capitalist in the interview. I was interviewing for an accounting job and I called myself an anti-capitalist in the interview and they still wanted me to work for them. And that was this huge thing like this huge positive sign to me. I remember, you know, when I called myself an anti-capitalist, one of the interviewers who was the CPO at the company said, how can you be an anti-capitalist and an accountant at the same time? And I said, well, I'm an extremely smart person. And so I understand systems and I understand how capitalism works and I understand finance and accounting and I enjoy systems and understanding them. And just because I have some personal opinions about how capitalism functions does not mean that I can't be excellent at this job. And I got the job. I got the job. But now at the job, they know I'm some fucking weird leftist anti-capitalist homosexual and they don't care. (laughs) Right. Totally. Yeah. And and there's ways that you can test and poke in in interviews and in your resume for sure. 
because yeah, this is, it's such an important takeaway. I think, especially right now in professional job landia, there's more jobs than there are like smart, talented, excited people who want to work the jobs. There's not more jobs than there are smart, talented people, um, (laughs) but who want to like work for these jobs. So it's a really good moment to explore and try to understand, will this work culture fit for me? And at some point, right, you're going to interview enough, you're going to get a job offer. All right. And like, if you're getting a offer of a salaried job, and especially if this is your first or first couple times having this happen in your life, a couple things will get you ready for this. Number one, having done some money homework ahead of time. So like, what does this field pay? You might have gotten asked early on in the interview process by a recruiter what your salary expectations are. So you kind of want to start especially if you're fixing to have a call with anybody, at least do some basic um, research on Glassdoor or Career Contessa, I think has an interesting salary website or talking to yeah, colleagues. Don't go into that first interview with without nothing. being ready because you'll get taken by surprise, even by the recruiter to be asked that salary expectation question. And if you haven't done that work, then you're going to say a number that you're going to regret. Yeah. And like certain states, so like New York state, I think they just started it or they're about to Colorado, some other states require companies to list the salary range in the job interview, in the job listing. And so sometimes you can also like, "Ah, it's great. So now that like my settings are in Colorado, all of the job listings that I see on LinkedIn have a salary range. But you could also change your settings, you know, to look at the job listing uh, and see if you can like surface any of that information. So that can be helpful. Looking around, you want to have some number in mind. That's fine. And at some point, if you're getting a job offer, they're going to start talking numbers, you know, and maybe maybe there'll be a moment where they're like, oh, you you initially said your range was 90 to 110 for this job. And so we are interested in offering you 95. And your job, no matter what you get offered, is to ask for more money. Ask for more money. Ask for five or 10 grand more. Please, please, please. Other people are doing it. 70% of men are asking for more money. Only 40% of women are asking for more money. I want you to ask for more money. You can do it in a couple of different ways. You could say, well, based on what I've learned about the scope of this role over my interviews, I actually believe that the value of this role is uh, 110 to 130. So I'd like 115, right? So like you're you're quote asking for 20 more than they offered you, but don't worry about that. You're talking about the value of the role. <laughs> you know, you're like, it's not about you at this point. Now it's about the value of the role. Um, the last two kind of like big girl pants, six figure jobs that I have applied for, gotten offers on, I've asked for more money and I've gotten it literally because I asked, right? So you can ask for more salary. You can also ask for signing bonuses. Some industries will give that to you. I asked for one uh, recent job um, and got it. I didn't think they were going to give it to me, but I was like, well, I'm going to ask. I mean, <laughs> well, like if, if you don't ask, you're not going to get yeah, it. They the will worst not thing give gonna... you anything that you don't ask for. That's what you don't ask for. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, oh, I was supposed to do this thing this summer, but if I take this job, it's going to be more expensive for me. So I should get a signing bonus. Like I just kind of like made a, uh, 
the said words, you know, because by the time someone's offering you a job, they are unlikely to basically 0% likely to rescind the job offer. And if a company rescinds a job offer because you negotiate your salary, you don't want to work there. Something is wrong. <laughs> like they should expect that you are going to be negotiating. Yeah. I mean, you know, within reason, like you can't go in there. And if initially you were like 90 to 110 and then suddenly we're like, I want a half a million dollars. Like, you know what I mean? There's <laughs> like, don't go... I think you that, have to have a reason. Yeah, that's why I was like the the scope of the role. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think that the for me, I mean, I'm still figuring this out too. And every time I try to negotiate, I have to work myself up to it. And I oh, I blacked out every time I negotiated. It oh, was so scary. But and I you've did you've it. actually coached me in my yes. last time that I negotiated, and it was so helpful. And I did so good, and I was so proud of myself. But the two things that I try to say that you need to balance is you need to have in mind what is that thriving amount of money that you need that you have already calculated in your visioning because that thriving amount of money, like I said, is different for different people. It depends on where you live and your life circumstances and so many, so many things. There's that number that you're like, this is the absolute minimum where I can thrive. And then you need to look at the market for what Mm -hmm. job you are applying for. And what you need to do is number one, you, your, your, your minimum thriving wage is the line under which you're not taking a job. Yeah. It's not absolutely not taking a job. Unless there is some sort of crisis in your life, in which case you'll have to take it anything. You just take whatever. And then you just keep applying to other jobs. You do you do what you have to do, but Laura's right. If you're negotiating, remember, don't negotiate yourself anywhere below that minimum thriving. And I'm not saying minimum surviving. I'm saying minimum mm-hmm. thriving wage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then everything above that, you are working for your worth. And, you're, and remember that right now in the world, the, right now it's February 2022, there is a massive shakeup. And because of the great resignation and because of inflation, the salaries that people are asking for and getting are much higher Mm -hmm. than before. So even if you look on Glassdoor and other things, what people are in practice getting day to day is increasing. So be brave. That's right. And go for it. Yeah. So... Whatever. Yeah. And and this is part of why I'm like, whatever number you had in your mind, just like blackout if you have to, but increase it when you say it out loud. (laughs) You you just have to go for it. It's going to feel scary. It's going to feel unnatural. Dissociate. Do what you have to do. Put on that drag mentality. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're going to be able to like afford like the whatever one therapy session you need to get over it because you're going to have more money in your pocket. (laughs) And that's what I want for you, you know? And, and so I think we're about to wrap up on this, like getting that job, we could have a whole honestly season on this. And there certainly is like a whole other episode to many episodes on like, once you have that money, what to do with it. But, but we're talking about this because so many of our last couple seasons have been like, well, like, how do we survive capitalism? How do we get on? Un- how do we unfuck the fucked upness of what many of us experience around our finances? One of those roads 
is just getting paid. And so there's this literally one thing that I'm going to say about, especially for that moment for y'all who are um, going from not having had enough money or having had an underpaid life to having that, you know, good to well-paid life is like, there's a transition period. There's a catch-up period where maybe you like need some new clothes or like need some new stuff at your house or need to fucking, you know, pay for, save up and pay for a gender affirming like uh, treatment or surgery. Maybe you need to get your teeth fixed. Maybe there's often a catch-up period for those of us who haven't had enough. And so it might feel right. Like in that first job that you're like, all my money's going to something, but it's going to the things that you needed, needed all along. Right. So like give yourself a minute to get caught up on all those things that you needed and just be happy, right. And appreciative Mm -hmm. that you're able to do it. But but kind of don't be like, oh my God, I thought I would have all this money, but I, but I don't have as much. No, you're using it for the things that you needed. Because I see this with clients all the time in these early transition moments. So and don't my, hurt yourself. My last word on this before we say bye is I want to say that you can do what we just talked about and then get that new job and it be you know better money than you've made before and you think it's going to be great and you could get in there. And it could still suck because mm-hmm. once you get in, you could find out that actually your boss is terrible or this or that or whatever. And so what I can say about this is that this process of finding a job that doesn't suck actually is, it might take more than one try. Mm-hmm. And that the point is, is to not lose hope and not just resign yourself to accepting a super crappy situation. What I want you to do, what we both want you to do, is get yourself into a financial and professional state where you are always able to leave a job and find another better one. So you take a job, and then once you you think it's going to be great, once you get into it and work it a bit, maybe it turns out that actually it does suck. Then you go back to strategize and you say, okay, so it does suck. I'm going to get out of this what I need to, mm-hmm. to move another step up. That's, that's exactly and it. And then just start working. Just start working. It might take you a couple tries and it might take you a couple years. And this is the hard, the, you know, you might get really lucky and just make that move and find that great thing. I really hope you do. But I just want to say that it's so easy to lose hope that it is impossible to find a situation that doesn't mm. suck. And what we what what we're trying to say is that there are specific strategies that you can employ to move yourself in the direction of not sucking. It might take time. Yes. And it's going to take a lot of resilience on your part, but you can get there. Yes. Yes. It's worth it. it, it it's worth it. It's possible. And even some, a job that one degree sucks less than the, a sucking job that you have now is an improvement. Is an improvement. Incremental. And like, yeah, we just want all of y'all to have a bit of an easier time. Yeah. Please don't stay at your super shitty job. Mm-mm. that is fucking destroying your life that is the that is the true moral of this story do not <laughs> do not 
let them convince you that this is all that you get in life. Yeah, that's right. That's a wonderful thing to end on. Thank you, Laura. Okay, y'all, thanks for listening today. (laughs) (laughs) All right, more um, in this series as we talk about the things that you can do to make something out of something once you've got that like initial kickoff going. So we'll uh, thanks for listening to Bottom Line's Top Dollars. We appreciate y'all. Bye. This has been another episode of Bottom Line's Top Dollars a podcast made by queer anti-capitalist finance professionals who, like you, don't trust financial systems. And are obsessed with understanding and hacking them. Your hosts are the ladies who crunch. That's me, Laura Boo. And me, Hadassah Damian from Ride Free Fearless Money. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and review us on whatever podcast app you use. And please... Keep sharing our show with your friends and social media networks. We get so much joy whenever we see people share our content or tag us in their posts. We do. And also a big thanks to our current Patreon supporters who enabled us to hire an amazing sound editor for this season, Erica Ricketts. Thank you, Erica. And y'all, Erica rules. So if you need a sound editor, find her at ericaricketts.com. That's Ricketts spelled with two T's. And if you aren't already, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash bottomlines top dollars. All patrons get access to our podcast episodes early and in full video format. Oh my God, see our outfits. And so we're going to take all of those funds from Patreon and keep putting them towards things like sound editing and other production costs helping make the show better, and hopefully allowing us to make more episodes each year. And you can stay tuned for those episodes by following us online. Uh, And you can also send us questions for our listener mail episode through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and email. You can find us by searching either Bottom Line's Top Dollars or Ladies Who Crunch. Our website is ladieswhocrunch.club, and our email is bottomlinestopdollars at gmail.com. And remember, kids, it's okay to think capitalism is total shit because it is, while also learning to survive and thrive within it. Mm-hmm. So until next time, friends, dismantle the system and take care of each other. Bye. Bye. Bye.